If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base, a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. This is Everything is Personal with Len May. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. As always, my co-host, Mr. John Small. Welcome. Great seeing you. Uh, hey, everybody. It is a pleasure you, to be here. Music to my ears. I'm really excited about this show. We got lots to talk about. We have a fantastic yeah. guest, so I don't want to hold anything up. I'm so psyched to have my dear friend, Mr. Danny Hester, on the show. Uh, welcome, Danny. Thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Even though Danny is graciously joining us, just recovered from uh, COVID. Yesterday was the first day he actually like made it to the gym, got to work out. So Danny's a friend. He's also a bodybuilder. He was Mr. Olympia. Uh, not only is uh, Danny a amazing bodybuilder, he's also a personal trainer, trains a lot of stars. And mm. you can name drop if you want, or I can tell a couple of uh, situations that we've had together where I got to meet some of the people that you train, which was really interesting. Thank you so much and welcome to the show. Oh, you're welcome. Very Good for me to do. This is my first Zoom. I just actually downloaded it for this. That know. is amazing. I love yeah. that you are a Zoom version, to use a yeah. uh, a, uh, <laughs> a term. In in this day and age, it's it's hard to find you guys. So I'm excited. Oh, Everybody's on Zoom, and it's like, oh, and somebody doesn't know how to use it. I love it. And you know, a month, yeah. nine months ago, nobody even knew what Zoom was. So no, what I use a lot, like uh, a lot of times, uh, I get pulled into stories, you know, on IG. Kind of like a Zoom in a way, you know. Sometimes it catches me off guard because I'm not used to it. And then I'll just be watching some of my influencer friends' feeds. And then they'll see me pop up on there. And I'll touch something because it gets a request. And all of a sudden, I'm in my bathroom or something. I get pulled into the... <laughs> You're <laughs> live. I'm, You're like, I'm in a live right now. What do I do with yeah. this live? That's hilarious. So I'm, I'm going to let you introduce yourself a little bit. But I just want to let the audience know... So Danny has a background of Danny pre-COVID, and then now you see Danny live, and there's a huge, huge difference. Huge. So he's shredded, ready for competition in the background, and right now, spaghetti arms. You can't, yeah. even, can't even recognize him. Yeah, he's, he's a yeah. shrimp. He's, he looks, it's like, yeah, it's like that before in that uh, Atlas commercial where, you know, the kid gets bullied on the beach and then he goes and works out and he comes back and beats up the bully. I don't know if anybody knows those old comics. No, you're huge, dude. I don't think I've ever seen arms as big as yours in my entire life. So if COVID did anything to you, it's hard to see. But I would love to apologize. Uh, I apologize, um, Len, for, but it's, you know, it's rare that you talk to somebody who's had COVID or, you know, you don't meet a lot of people you hear about a lot. And I, you know, unfortunately, I had an unfortunate experience with a friend that got COVID. But Danny, can you, do you mind sharing a little bit about your experience with this 
with this yeah, virus you know, and how it happened? Do you have any idea how you even got it or? Well, I'm pretty sure I got it at the gym, to be mm -hmm. honest. You know, I have access to so many facilities, some privates and stuff like that. People always invite me to. Um, there's a couple of them that I don't know how they stay open, to be honest, because they're functioning actually more capacity than actually before. I think because they had so many new members because other gyms got closed down for whatever reasons and they were able to stay open. I think it has a lot to do with like the city, which areas and things like yeah. that. And some of them just don't care. They incur fines. One of my friends has a, um, a gym and they shut off his electricity and he just got a generator and started back up again. <laughs> <laughs> and he's going Can't to court keep him down, man. Can't keep him down. Small business, man. That's yeah. True. Yeah. That's tough. But the only problem with that, I actually had to stop going there because I was getting ready for a show. So for me, when I get ready for a show, there's not a lot of socializing because a lot of times socializing is a big part of when I go to the gym too. I like to help influence people and talk to younger people coming up and everything. And, you know, they want to take pictures of social media with me and all that. And I don't mind, you know, I still get my workout in. It takes a little bit longer, but when I get ready for a show and dieting, I don't have a lot of energy. So I need to get in there and train hard and get out. And some of these gyms, like my friend's gym, um, he stayed open. And so a lot of gyms closed around the area. So he had a flood of people like, probably four times more than he normally would. Mm. And I would go in there and uh, I just like a little voice told me, I said, this is not a good place to be. Mm. There's just way too many people. And the thing is that a lot of the people aren't appreciative of just having a gym they can go to and they'll sit around and talk and socialize. And it's like, get the heck out of here after you work out. Yeah. It's not, this is like ridiculous. Yeah. You know, I, I literally had a, leave a couple times that little voice in my head saying this is not good you need you shouldn't be around this not only because i couldn't concentrate because it was so crowded but i knew like you know there's covid going on man it's yeah. real yeah, you know real. you're like rolling the dice and I, I have a feeling that's kind of probably where i got sick hmm. especially when you get really lean your immune system is not as strong right. and you're training really hard you know so i was probably at a very a vulnerable um, place as far as you know even though you're healthy as far as physically which actually contributed to a lot of uh, the issues I could have had I totally could right. tell if, if if I wasn't in shape you know even cardiovascular wise too there definitely would it would have been a lot worse it really would have so what, what were some of your symptoms that you had the one that really kind of freaked me out a little bit and I tried not to pay attention to it was I can only get half a breath shortness like of breath if I took a deep breath it would burn like if mm. you just did like a huge sprint up a hill or something and how you're out of breath and, and, and it starts to burn like that mm -hmm. that's how it felt just like trying to take a deep breath and so I was only able to do half and then towards the end right. of the the breath it burned. I was like, Oh man, I try not to do that a lot because it freaked me out. You, you can almost feel like claustrophobic, especially wow. mm -hmm. when you're not used to that, you know? And so I tried not to walk around as much and I just try to really keep my heart rate down and rest. But that was the problem is I was so tired. You know, I had the chills and aches and I was so tired, but the problem is I wasn't tired enough to sleep. I couldn't get a good sleep. It was, I, I think it was because my body had chills and I had a really bad headache. I had no appetite. So it was, it, I was tired probably from that. But when it came down to trying to sleep, I, I couldn't get a good night's sleep. I would yeah. literally get up like 10 times a night. Wow. 
I mean, I, wow. I, I don't know how many like crappy Netflix movies I was forced to watch. <laughs> I, I needed something to do, you know. I think yeah, I exactly. Series I would have never watched. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah, definitely all those all those Netflix and Hulu's and all those services oh, really really I mean, took off during the pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> I had really. Hulu, everything. They just got to come up with better content, I think. Yeah. How long yeah. did your symptoms last, especially the breathing thing, which must have been really scary? The breathing thing, I could tell the better I started feeling, the more lung capacity started coming back. And as a matter of fact, yesterday, I didn't go to the gym. It was the first time to exercise. I didn't, I didn't want to go to the gym. I, I just like, you know, did some stairs at the college and walked and went around the track and did some push-ups and pull-ups, you know, body mm -hmm. weights. Just to kind of get that connection back with yeah. my, my body. And it was almost like I was testing out the, you know, the, the car after yeah. not driving for a while. And, uh, yeah, the full capacity is still a little bit, I would say 20%. I still need to go where right. I can, tell. you know, I was reading up cause sometimes I'll get like, uh, a little dizzy, I think because of, I was exerting myself just being bedridden for three weeks, sure. um, got a little dizzy. Um, but I also have to be mindful cause I was Googling and it says, you know, even though you think you're done, a lot of times it has like a little tiny mini surge research yeah. with it. Mm -hmm. So I'm waiting for that part to clear, but all in all, that was, that was the worst three weeks, man. That was man, terrible. I'm so sorry you had to go through that. Yeah. yeah and was... I missed the Olympia, obviously that happened yeah. like, right before the Olympia. Uh. And I didn't even, I was trying not to post that I wasn't going to go cause I was hoping it would be done with so I can actually just go. Cause it was in Florida this year. It was supposed to be in yeah. Vegas and the last minute Vegas put a restriction on gatherings of 250. Florida had up to 2,500 to 3,000 per gathering. What a difference. <laughs> so the Olympia last minute had to cancel their contract at the Hard Rock Cafe where it was going to be held. It was a beautiful stage too. And they moved it to some uh, uh, convention center in Orlando last hmm. minute. So that was really wow. tough on them. Wow. Yeah. So that made it even more difficult as far as planning. And I was still planning to go. I told my wife, you know, you don't have to go. Because we usually enjoy Because it's in Vegas every year. They have a contract. Yeah. It's easier for people from all over the world, you know, to go to Vegas. And uh, so this is the first year they didn't have it in Vegas in like 15 years. And, and you're a staple there. Like when you go there, people come find you and they take pictures with you. And you'd like, oh, yeah. No, it's, it's, that's the part is the Olympia is huge. I mean, over 100,000 people friends and family and fans from all over the world. And it's a, it's in the, the convention center. So there's a bunch of events before the competition and everything, you know, it's a big expo, all yeah. the companies, anything right. that has to do with fitness is there. And uh, they couldn't have that this year. So it was basically just the competition. Uh, so that really, you know, took the biggest factor because I've been doing it for so long. Really, uh, honestly, I wasn't as bummed that I didn't do it because they didn't have that aspect of it anyways. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and for me, I already won it once. So my health was the most important thing. Yeah, absolutely. You got a chance to recover. It's like in the NFL, if you make it to the Super Bowl, you don't have to win. You made it to the Super Bowl. Right. You're there. True. Now, I actually won the thing. So for me, it's more important to just be healthy. And, you know, and I finally posted it like maybe four days before the Olympia that I wasn't going to do it because due to COVID, it was an interesting it almost felt weird. Like I had to tell everyone I had the plague or something. It was, it was a little, 
you know, if it was just like a normal sickness, oh, I have the flu or whatever, I couldn't make it, I apologize to my fans. It's, a- it's really interesting because as you were saying, Danny, like people see this as the plague. It's, it reminds yeah. sort of like AIDS, right? Back in the day when people, yes. oh my God, we got to stay away from these people that are going to, we may contract AIDS from the air or something. So it's like the unknown scares people so much. Yeah. And then, you know, being supposedly the epitome of health and fitness too. Right. Hatching, and I felt like, geez. I don't it know just what shows that, you it doesn't discriminate. Yeah, I mean, well, even my brother, I think my younger brother, you know, he's in law enforcement. And he was very surprised. He's like, "Wow, How, I mean, you got it, and it was that bad." He's like, "You know, he was surprised because guys, it really must hit people like differently." You know, well, I think he hit the nail on the head. And and today, like Dr. Hyman, who's a integrative medical professional, he was talking about, and I have another friend of mine who's a fitness guy who got it pretty bad too among with other people that didn't get the same symptoms there's a lot of genetics that are involved some of the genes that allow you to have a different experience than other people but also it's a strain on your immune system as you're training as you you were saying danny and then the other thing is the inflammation so when you're actually training you're working out and you're creating and you're using supplements all that it increases your ph level you get more inflamed and that virus loves inflammation it's sort of a pathway to it. So all those things are like a perfect storm. Yeah, mm. because your hormones are so at a, at a it's it's like the analogy I could use is like a NASCAR. You're running at such a high performance where you monitor, you get your blood worked. At least I do. I contribute me almost to a registered nurse. So right. that background in fitness, um, especially in bodybuilding, because the bodybuilding world it could be known for abusing anabolics and all this stuff just to mm. temporarily you know, get a certain look, but you, you're basically aging yourself. And that's mm-hmm. what these young guys don't understand. I'm still competing at the Olympia at 51 years old. I actually you want to won. say that again? Let's pause on yeah. that. I just want people uh, to realize, how old were you when you won Olympia? When I won, when I won the Olympia, the classic division, I, I was 47 years old. The oldest yeah. one. Think, think about that, ladies that's and incredible, gentlemen. man. 47 years yeah, old. All the guys in the 20s and 30s. And yep. there's a few in their 40s that look great still. And that's the thing is, I tell people it's a lifestyle. It's even harder for the young guys these days because of social media. They see how good people supposedly look. Um, And then also there's so much information out there. It's too much information. Wow. When I was starting, my first competition was in 1989. I didn't have the internet. Mm -hmm. I I just went from like the OGs in the the gym, you know, the old school guys, and just learned basic stuff from them. There was not this medical knowledge out there. It's pretty crazy, you know, and I also have a medical background. So I know like these kids are just getting their hands on so many pharmaceuticals and they think that it makes them look great. But I'm like, you're probably aging yourself 20 years in five years. Your body's not going to respond. It might look good now for a pool party or whatever you're trying to do, but you're blowing it. What happens is the body takes time, especially in bodybuilding. That's why I love it because it's a pursuit of a certain look that takes a long time to obtain because you don't grow genetically even like you might your legs you could do something just very little and it'd get big but the rest of your body takes a long time it's a lot harder people have genetic areas that are really strong i know some some guys that have love handles but they have like an eight pack in the front Mm. before they bury things just genetically and so when you're trying to sculpt a very balanced as far as what i think ideal is a very balanced, small waist, arms, everything's got to be very proportionate. It doesn't grow evenly. So it takes a lot longer to get there. 
like mm-hmm. your legs might overpower your upper body or vice versa. Uh, your chest might be huge, but your shoulders aren't growing. And if you just keep right. doing what you're doing, mm-hmm. your chest is going to get even bigger mm-hmm. and, your and you're going to look very unproportionate. And right. that's how I'm able to beat a lot of the bigger guys because of my balance. Yeah. And very important. It's not about how much I weigh the size. It, if someone says, I'm going to give you 20 inch arms. I say, I, I won't take it unless the rest is balanced with it. Yeah. It's all an illusion up there. And for me, it's about the beauty and aesthetics of it. It's art. And a lot of guys don't realize they think they can get it fast, but genetically you don't grow even no matter what anabolics you take to make you grow. Yeah. You're still going to have to deal with your genetic factor of things take longer. Like your yeah. arms might take another five years to be the size you want it to be, but then you're blowing everything else up. So now yeah. your arms are where you want it, but everything else is so big, your arms still look small. It's better to do it more naturally with less anabolics which is healthier, but it also is able to have you gauge your progress, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and right. And that's, that's key to longevity. I always say, if I can't beat them, I'll outlast them. And I've done that for three decades of, of athletes, top athletes. This is another thing that I want people to understand. People who are really, really physically looking after themselves. And this whole stigma about, you know, cannabis makes you lazy, all that stuff. That's a bunch of bullshit. And you're in a, a testament to that because yeah. you're one of the hardest working guys I, I know. Working out sometimes twice a day in the gym, all the cardio that you do. But as a cannabis user, there's a certain intention. My story is like when Danny and I met four or five, whatever many years ago. But one of the things that we talked about is recovery. So I actually came up with a product called a recovery that will help bodybuilder people who are working out to recover and cannabis is a major ingredient that's so ahead of its time too thank you man even even the packaging still holds up today as far as the brand i appreciate it danny uh, also trains celebrities and we had a if you want me to not mention names i won't drop them (laughs) all right so uh, it's just a funny story so one time, my friends had this house. Uh, they called the MCO. It was like sort of a private cannabis club. And you go to the house in the hills. And then uh, what Danny was going to do, he was going to be the trainer there because they had a gym. And we were going to bring in people who uh, would get a membership. And Danny was going to personally train them and maybe even put some people there uh, that were trained under him. And one time, he brought his client, uh, Mr. Mickey Rourke, over <laughs> to the house. So first of all, Danny's calling me. He's like, where are you? I'm like, I'm in the house. He's like, no, we're in the house. I don't see you. I'm like, I walk out in the balcony. Danny's walking down the street. Mickey went to the wrong house. He was in the house next door. (laughs) No, it's even funny about that story. Yeah, he used the bathroom in that house, too. He no, he did. He dropped Number the deuce. Two. <laughs> he dropped the deuce. And like, somebody's like, you're not going to believe this, but Mickey Rourke just came to my house and took a number two in my bathroom. Somebody somebody has that story. <laughs> oh, my God. That was that was the funniest. So finally, like Mickey comes in. He's a great storyteller. And then he started telling all these stories about his own you know, situations and his own experience with cannabis and other things and uh, how he had a place in New York and he would get people together. But then he was telling about uh, he's a boxer. He's an avid boxer. And at that time, if I remember correctly, he, he was signing on to fight somebody. He was, how old was he? 63, I think, at the time? Uh, Mickey's about 10 years older than me, yeah. Wow. I don't know. He was, he was up there in age when he was fighting a guy that was 30 years younger than him in Germany. And I was like, 
I'm like, are you sure you want to do this? So he's standing there and I, I wish I could describe the visual because I'll never forget it. And he's standing there and I'm standing next to him. And I was asking him, he's like, no, I have a plan. And he, uh, and he starts like sort of, I'm going to, I'm going to jab, jab. And then he's got these big hands and he goes open hand. He goes, and then I'm going to hit him in the, give him like a kidney shot. And with his open hand, he got me. And I was like, oh man. That <laughs> so, hurt. So I, yeah, it, it hurt. I mean, it wasn't closed <laughs> fist. It was an open hand, but uh, you know, he, he showed how he was going to uh, yeah. win. And, and it would have hurt, hurt more if he wasn't sober. you might have been laid up for a while yeah oh oh, no doubt no doubt about it man i used to write i used to write for maxim and i one time i was interviewing mickey Rourke for a story and he told me some crazy story and i was like this is incredible i was like is this even real like and then um i was like you know writing it all down and then he hangs up the phone and about 10 minutes later phone rings again yeah, it's Mickey. You can't use any of it. You can't. You can't. He's like, nothing I told you, you can use. He's like, that would get me in prison. And I was like, oh, man. So I can't yeah, even share that story, story with you guys online. He's got stories, man. <laughs> he's got yeah, good stories. Amazing stories. What a life. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, another one was uh, Wesley Snipes, who's now like uh, coming to America. He's, uh, he's going to be in the new coming to America. But that was yeah. that was an interesting story. The only part of that story that I'm going to tell, and you can fill in the blanks anywhere, was when Wesley Snipes came in, like, I'm a big fan of New Jack City. That was my movie back in the day. He came in wearing, like, a white sweatsuit with a Kangol hat. I was like, <laughs> man, Rockabye baby. That was the best when I saw him looking at that. So, yeah, Danny, yeah. Danny trains a lot of these people. So it's yeah. interesting that, you know. And Wesley's yeah. a big cannabis guy, too. Yeah. You know, that's I, I didn't want to say anything. That's why I was asking. Yeah, we, we've yeah. we had some experiences there. Mickey actually took the recovery formula that I made, and he was like, you sure I'm not going to get high? You sure I'm not going to get paranoid? I'm like, no, nah, I got it. And he was cool. Yeah. Uh, just we have three questions that we usually ask. The first question that I had was, uh, please describe your first experience with cannabis. Uh, I would have to say when I was, gosh, 13 or 14 and we had a friend that was older we were i believe in my backyard and there was a can first time i saw someone make a little hole in the can and he had some and he was trying it and he let me try it and i was like whoa okay (laughs) stuff is all about and it didn't with my body chemistry at the time I, i didn't like it i think i wasn't prepared mentally for it You know, I had no idea. And I wasn't a big advocate for any type of whether it was alcohol or anything when I was a kid. It was just didn't interest me. I was always an athlete. I was a gymnast since I was six, you know, and it wasn't that I had a moral thing about it because I had a lot of friends even back then that smoked weed and they were incredible athletes. It used to really blow me away because I was always in the impression of be as fit as possible. Don't give up any edge. So you don't want to drink alcohol. You want to eat perfect. You want to train. You want to sleep. And anything that goes into that that's not going to really help with that is a deterrent that will make you slip in whatever you're trying to do as far as excelling to be the best. You know, because I was very competitive. And uh, so that was just my mindset with it, where a lot of other people had a moral issue with it, whether it was drinking or whatever, which is so stupid because when you're in high school, even now, I mean, even the way they make movies, everyone drinks, everyone smokes weed. And it's like, how are they still having that stigma over 
freaking from the 70s of making all these great movies animal house and just so many cool movies yeah. that are you know iconic that have kids under age drinking and smoking weed it's like they make it a moral thing it's just so weird it's just part of the culture and it, of course like anything else if you abuse it you're an idiot mm. you know it's it's just like food or anything else and so with me i've never had a moral issue with it i even seen and then the one especially when i started when i came to la and started training very high profile people whether it was you know pro athletes nfl guys nba guys major league baseball and attorneys and, and surgeons, and they all smoked weed. And, you know, they would have a glass of wine or something also once in a while. And it was like, these are very high-functioning people. And uh, I knew right away that it could be used for a tool. And that's what people don't realize. It's either like bad, immoral, destructive, but people don't realize it actually is beneficial. And then especially now, you know, that we know stress is the number one killer of everything heart disease i mean just so much that yeah. if you can control different things to really help you function better and perform better in moderation just like that's my whole philosophy even with the anabolics in my sport because it definitely is very much abused and the people have to realize it should not make you what you are some people need cocaine or adderall or this and that to get through a meeting, to do well, to perform. But if you can't do it on your own and you have to have it or you're not the same, well, then that's a crutch. With anything, you have to be able to know how to utilize it to suit you best because it actually acts the opposite. I used to do so many seminars all over the world and stuff, and I'd be tired sometimes and my brain would be in it, so I would do some Adderall. And it was great, but at a certain point, I felt like, oh, 10 milligrams is good. What about 20 milligrams? And then... All of a sudden, I'm sitting there just speaking nonsense at these, at these <laughs> seminars going on about nothing because yeah. it was too much for me. And I realized that I said, oh, yeah. this is not good. This is doing the opposite. There's yeah. always that factor where you have to know yourself and try to get the best out of it. The obsession, even the fitness thing is not that necessarily good. I would never get that lean just to be lean if it wasn't for the competition because mm -hmm. that's right. pretty extreme and that's actually not healthy. You know, yeah. it's probably one of the reasons, I, uh, honestly, I got the COVID because when you're that lean and you're working your body that hard, your immune system is very, very low. So, cool. you know, that's the thing. So that, your first experience wasn't the best experience, though, you had? It, it, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, I didn't know what to expect from it, honestly, yeah. too. You know, and I think that has a lot to do with it. This is like some of my friends now, they're going to these uh, clinics overseas and, and like in, in Colombia and some of these places to do the ayahuasca and all yeah. that stuff, mm -hmm. you know? Um, actually, yeah. Dorian Gates, a five-time Mr. Olympia, actually has his own clinic in Colombia with the indigenous people that actually do it, and they guide you through it and everything, and it's supposed to really help with addictions and just emotional yeah. things, almost like yeah. a purge. Sure. And I've heard a lot of really good things about that. If it would have been in different environment and not in mm -hmm. the backyard sneaking and I'm not sure what it does. I might have had a better experience with it. And that's the problem is is the way the culture is. And it's so changing very fast now, oh, yeah. which is a good thing because it's so beneficial. You know, yeah. people don't realize. And I, I've always told people, would you rather have your girlfriend, your sister, your your wife in a room full of drunk guys or a room full of stoned guys? Yeah. 
<laughs> great question. No, yeah. yeah, it's a good yeah. question. They probably want you to, them to bake them something or make them some food. You yeah, know, where, the drunk exactly. guys, where the drunk guys would be a different story. So I don't I know yeah, for sure. Um, second question. We're, we're music guys, uh, John and I, and I know you are as well. So I uh, wanted to know if there's a song or an album. What's your go-to, even if you're consuming cannabis or just in general, what's that go-to song, music, album, or, or genre that you kind of gravitate towards? Um, Besides your wife. <laughs> yeah, no, my wife's a recording artist. Beautiful. Right. She yeah. actually does some live performance on stage with me when What's I What's your wife's her. name? We got to give her a plug here. Monique McFay. So when Danny does his uh, posing and all that, Monique sings sometimes oh, to that. Cool. And they have this coordinated uh, routine, which is awesome. So. Yeah, because I would usually, you know, I get hired to go to do guest poses. I'm known for my posing, just very artistic, you know, like old school poses right. rather than just like, you know, modern day where they lost it and it was just about the muscle and they would be, hit shots like that. For me, it was about, you know, mimicking the Greek statues and, 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 and the movement and the drama yeah. of it, just in the hand positions and stuff and just the flow. And yeah. so I, I was known for that in my competitions too, which helped me win. And so I got requests, smaller shows, you know, national level shows and different shows all over the world for the intermission. They would hire me to do the guest posing and I would have music and the yeah. lights and very dramatic. And uh, one time I performed in Alaska, my wife went with me I needed the music and I didn't have it with me that I was going to use that she made for me that she actually sung and composed. And right. I was going to use that. And I said, you know, I was practicing in the mirror at the hotel the night before. And I said, Hey, can you sing that part? And so she started seeing it and I was practicing. And I said, wow, why don't you just come on stage with me and do it live? You know, we did that and it blew people away the first time. Yeah. And there's guys who are like, you know, six, three, 270 pounds, big bodybuilder guys in the audience we came out from backstage after performing and they had like tears in their eyes they were like mm. that was the most beautiful thing we've ever seen because it was like live performance yep. to have her actually singing live as i'm posing yeah. you know and it's like we're kind of like playing off each other and it's never been done before so that was a really yeah, and i was only able to do that because i won the olympias to make that request to have her on there because a lot of times when we would travel to india china wherever they don't really know what she's about to do because they've never seen it. They just right. wanted me to do the guest posing. And then, so when she does sound checks and stuff, it's always terrible because they don't yeah. know who's actually going to be up there. And it's different to just cue the music rather than having her cue like the sound and everything for her right. to actually sing. And a lot of times they don't do that great of a job. But after we're finished performing, they were like, oh, we didn't know that's what you wanted to do. Even though she would tell them that's what she was going to do until yeah. we actually did. Then they understood. And then when they find out we're married, it's, you know, it just adds a whole nother element of completeness, you know, of like, wow, you guys are married to you did this and yeah. you're trapped. It's, it's almost a like a unique experience. Combining very her passion with my passion together. It's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. So uh, one more question. What has cannabis meant in your life? I think it's, like I said, it's, you know, the, with the CBDs, it's a big part of just the recovery. And what I do, the recovery is so important. It's everything. It's actually more important than the training aspect of it, especially mm. when you get older. You know, being an older athlete and still trying to really heal and the inflammation and everything that goes, you know, against you. Basically, you're, you're fighting the training and, and father time. 
Yeah. No. By the way, your cat agrees with everything you're saying right yeah, now. You, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I'll recovery. Yeah, exactly. Recovery. That cat is so smart. I have to lock the doors like when I'm in the bathroom because he, he goes and opens the door on you and he sticks it He's like a dog. Yeah. That is funny. I like the dog. All right. I have a, one more bonus question. If you remember, describe what your room looked like growing up. My room, uh, obviously, you know, kid. And had mm-hmm. brothers. Yeah. It's always messy. <laughs> um, Where was it? Where did you grow up, Danny? I grew up in Ventura, California, right okay. by close to the beach. It's Ventura is a beach town between yeah. Santa Barbara and Malibu. I, I really appreciated growing up there because Ventura was the type of friends I had. It was very eclectic. You you have like a lot of Mexican migrant fuel workers because there's so many farmlands and strawberries and lemons and everything out there when I was growing up. And so there was always like first and second generation Latin kids that I went to school with. And they were like into low riders and, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, me being of mixed ethnicities, it was real. I could fit into a lot of different things. They didn't know what I really was. And so we had the low riders and by the beach, we had all the surfer kids and stuff like that. So we had like that surf culture. It was very territorial at the time. So there's some badass surfers that can fight too. And they love fighting. Oh, stuff. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, um, they weren't just little pretty toehead boys. boys. Yeah. Exactly. They were pretty hardcore guys. And then we had Ojai, which is the mountains with the ranches and everything like that. Uh, our actually, Ventura chapter for the Hells Angels was one of the strongest in the state. Mm-hmm. And George Christie was, he's, he's known, he actually had the Hells Angels. And he's, you know, that's, he grew, I grew up with his son and everything. And I used to train all the Hells Angels guys in their compound. <laughs> and uh, I got all older. So I grew up with those guys. And the cool thing is that growing up, we had the Hells Angels with the lowriders and the surfers. And we all got along when we party as kids. And it was such an eclectic mix of people. And it was almost like even the clothing and the music, it all blended together because we all hung out together. Yeah. You know, we grew up together. So it was, it was a very interesting vibe and i think when i came to la a lot of people kind of felt that because huntington beach was starting to be a little bit like that in la you know with the skateboarders and stuff so it was like my style and everything already kind of fit in there thrown in with the bodybuilding you know when i came to venice because i started training at gold's venice my first gym membership was in 1989 Hmm. and so i've had a vip membership there ever since which is very blessed. You know, what what motivated you to actually start body? I know working out, like you, you just want to get in good shape. You yeah. want to- well, getting back to the room, my room, yeah. like my brother was very smart. He's into like biochemistry and physics. He's also a professor right now. And, and he, he would have like uh, Mr. Spock and Einstein posters in his room. <laughs> and the posters I would have would be like Bruce Lee. Yeah, I had that posters. And then when I got older and I started lifting more and my body got a little bit thicker, I remember putting up Arnold's poster up. That's it. Bruce Lee. Yeah. Yeah. And it was it was cool. You know, so it was kind of a mixture of both because fighting was, you know, I'm I'm part Thai. So I grew up doing movie Thai since I was like real small kid. We did it for real then, you know, with the knees and everything, real Thai movie Thai style. Mm -hmm. You know, and then I wrestled in high school and college and, you know, martial arts and everything. So I was always into individual sports. I didn't like team sports so much. Mm-hmm. I didn't like if you won and you sat on your ass, you still won, but it really you didn't really win. Or if you lost, but you were the best, you still lost because of the team. Right. So I really like the ownership of like directly what I did 
so I was a gymnast, martial artist, you know, bodybuilding, right? All just all the different break dancing. I was one of the best break dancers in the world. Uh, John and I were talking about it. He, no, I was Northeast Circuit Breakers. What were you, John? I was in the Chill Factor, but yeah, yeah I'm not a real break dancer. <laughs> I'm just a popper. I'm a, I can, I can, I can. Oh, yeah. That's the thing. I was able to do all three. There's break dancing. There's popping, and there's the rocking. Yeah. Yep. And I was actually really good at all three of them, like the best. Wow. I used to battle whole groups by myself, <laughs> and my brother would hold my jacket because you know you had like a crew, and they would specialize in certain moves yeah, and certain you battle. Yeah. I literally, of because of my martial arts and gymnastics background, yeah. I was dominating. Right. The only thing I would get tired, of, I would look at my brother after someone did like head spins and back flips and run off the walls. I was like, I can do that, but I just freaking did like all kinds of windmills right. and stuff. Again, guy that just went, they sent out before me. I was like, okay, here I go. And that was very interesting because it was a little bit like fighting because it's very physical. And oh, yeah. if you mess up, you, you just don't mess up. You can actually get really hurt. By the way, big up to breakdance. They're making it an Olympic sport. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's, it's, it should be. It's, it's right. almost a combination of gymnastics with Right. dance and, and martial arts it's it's it really is a bunch of super art physical they have, they have olympic sports there the score too but i was on i had a manager i would I, I would perform like grand openings of of restaurants it was i was on soul train american bandstand oh, i wow. helped choreograph the 1984 opening ceremonies of the olympics 84 olympics in, when it was in the, uh, uh, the coliseum you know, I got to meet Dick Clark on, on American Bandstand with the original set. It, the, the tiles. He's the real deal, man. I was just oh, like a poser. Sure. I was just a poser. Although I did grow up in New York, so at least I was in the right yeah, place. Yeah, well, New York is where it started. <laughs> That's where it all started, but I can't say that I was a pioneer in the... Uh... <laughs> and, and, and the New York, we used to actually... My manager, I had a manager at the time, too. The thing is, we used to study them. And when it just first started coming to the West Coast, that was luckily my generation... Because in New York, they were doing it probably about four or five years before, yeah, mostly right. with the, the pop locking and, and, and just basic breakdancing. But we, when it came to the breakdancing, it came to California, we took it to a whole other level yeah, of like power sure. moves like that. And I was part of the, the guys at the forefront. I would explain, because, you know, I, uh, good friends and I trained the Jabberwockies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, those were good friends of mine. And uh, I remember telling them the history of it because they're much younger than me. When I would train the guys in Vegas, because that's where they perform, keep them in shape. I would explain some of the movements, like, you know, the one hand where you spin on one hand up top. And that was called the 99, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Why do they call it the 9S? Is because that was back in the early 80s. And 1999 was basically the, you know, Y2K. The, the future. It's the future. <laughs> <laughs> and they still call the 99 to this day. And I was to explain, they're like, oh, that makes sense. This is the future you know, of. I told them, like, you know, when, when they would go, like, just on one hand and, and they would throw their legs over and just hold it in midair and then they come back down, movements yeah. like that. We, I, we took that from the skateboarders. They would go off the lip and they would hold it with one hand with the board and they go back down. That's right. That hold the board and come back. Yeah. And that's, you know, mimicking that movement. It's just so many things, the history of it and stuff, you know. Is, we love it, man. I want to see if I could still do a lot of that stuff, you know. I know <laughs> I can I do it, man. You still get the moves. You can still do it. Yeah, but, John and I are old school hip hop guys. So we we talk about it, like all that yeah. generation. We we actually talked about the best uh, breakdance movies. Like for me, it was Beat Street that changed yeah. everything for me. And I used to dress like that, walk around with my Adidas sweats and the, and the yeah. shell tops, all that. Yeah, that was good times. And, you know, the thing is that I, 
I got so advanced um, and then it took a little bit longer for like the commercial world to basically what I say, the housewives, you know, with the picket fence and they had their kids started getting into it. They were booking the commercials and it wasn't the advanced guys. And that's when it basically for the advanced guys, it really died down. We got it was so watered down, you know, when they're all getting excited over like stuff, Michael Jackson, you know, some of the videos, like five backspins and people are like, oh, that was amazing. I'm like, (laughs) okay, because they don't really care for like the levels of it anymore. It's more just kind of saturated. And I think that's when it started losing it. But to see it come back, especially years ago when I was watching in like Asia, Japan, Korea and all that. Wow. Yeah, they are. Talking about two guys mimic like the best level, highest level. And they're purists. Like, yeah, they had the world championship now. I was watching online. It's amazing. They were amazing. I was like, yeah. whoa, they're not only just copying it, but they're copying it at the highest level, even like the little, like, yeah, they study little, it. little things. Yeah. Like perfect form. Cause I used yeah. to watch people, you know, even like in, in, cause all those guys, Beat Street, you know, Booboo Shrimp and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. Even my neighbors, Anthony Thomas is one of the best in the world. That actually, that's, a lot where I got a lot of my exposure because he was one of the best in the world. He was partners with Bruno, which was in Beat Street. You know, Bruno, that yep, he, yeah, yeah. he would hit from his chest. It was just like so powerful. His Just his movements were so crisp and everything. And Anthony was his, his dance partner. And Anthony actually did uh, all the Janet Jackson videos. He was choreographing for all that stuff, the control album, everything. So I was able to kind of ride with him because I was really good at what I did. He would bring me in introduced me and that's how i got a lot of work and stuff so i've always been performing at a really high level even now taking it into the bodybuilding world i think that's where i feel comfortable performing but with the room thing it was definitely bruce lee and <laughs> arnold that's awesome man danny thank you so much for joining us can you tell everybody where people can find you or get some information about you if they want to engage with you what would be some of the places they can find you uh instagram ig is danny hester First classic, Mr. Olympia. So good to see you. I'm so glad that you're healthy. Can't wait for this to all go away. We got to get together, man. Yeah. So. No, most, most definitely. It's uh, almost like a cleansing to a certain degree, you know. hundred years ago, we had this, you know, and it came back. Obviously, yeah. it was. It could have been worse. It definitely could have been worse. Yeah. I really think it could have, even though there's a lot of deaths and stuff like that, which is tragic. But that virus could have been much worse. Can you imagine it was more like bubonic plague and it was spread easier? Yeah, and, and, and to yeah. younger people. And, it's, yeah. and, and it's in, in some ways, it's not as bad as it could be. And it was still it's horrible. For sure. For yeah. sure. And, it, and, and this is, honestly, this is like a little reality check for the world because it, yep. another one will come and it will be worse. So yep. in a way, we're kind of blessed to be able to limit it to as much as we have, you know, and caught us off guard. But it definitely is going to change a lot of things. Yeah, especially for athletes and it'll hopefully change the healthcare system because yeah. people that really got hit hard were obviously the minorities and, and very poor people. For you sure. know, they don't have the to get well and all that stuff. You know, I actually fell one night in the kitchen getting a drink of water. I passed out. My my head I dented the dishwasher. My wife got up, it freaked her out because it made so much noise. And I remember her saying, hey, Danny, are you okay? Are you okay? And I'm looking up at her and I'm like, why are you screaming? I thought I was on the couch. Wow. It mm. was the craziest, scariest thing in the world. And she's like, do you want me to take you 
to the emergency and I'm thinking, uh, no, because you can't have any visitors if you have COVID and it's like restricted. And I would rather, I hate to say, I would rather die on my couch with a big screen TV and Netflix than be in a freaking hospital room. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, I feel you on that. Really that needed it could have had it too, you know, more than me. And I think it's just safer to be at home. So especially when you have a wife that's awesome that just, I mean, she really took care of me. Well, that's a great message, man. Love you so much. Appreciate you. Thank you for your time. Say hello to your wife and uh, let's get together really soon. No, Thanks definitely. Again. Next Zoom, I'll take some Adderall and be even better. <laughs> All right, let's do it, man. <laughs> little Adderall. Thanks, brother. Cannabis. Good to meet you, Danny. All right. Here's take care. The Peace. There you go. <laughs> take care. Woo. Awesome, man. He's flexing. God yeah. damn. I, I need to. I need to work out. Yeah. <laughs> well, what you do, you guys, definitely make sure, if anything, keep your posture. Thanks. Your shoulders back. Just That's always it. squeeze the shoulder blades Don't together. Slouch. Don't slouch. Simple. Yeah. We're both we both sat up right away. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Every day, all the time. Your head's heavy, you know. Yeah. And especially Len's head. He's got a big brain, so it's better to have a big head. I just thought he had a big head. Yeah, I was gonna say he just got yeah. a big head. Or unless That's you guys exactly have your ear, ear, ear sets on. All right, brother. Thanks, man. All right, man. Take Thank care. You. All the best. So much for me. Bye. Well, that was interesting. Wow, that you, was again, right? yet another guy that you know. <laughs> like, so oh, just a Mister Olympia. I have so many stories with Danny. Just, it's so much fun. Like uh, the. I can go deeper into the Wesley Snipes story. We'll, we'll leave it for another show, but remind me to tell you a little bit more about Mickey and, and uh, some of the other people that he introduced me to. It, it's a trip. But uh, yeah, man, I'm so glad he's uh, he's feeling better. I have my amazing. Own Somebody with that phys- in that kind of physical shape it's, it's, could get COVID. I, I actually, right? this is the third person who is like the most incredible shape. I mean, Danny is obviously Mr. Olympia, but I had uh, other people that are, I mean, ripped six pack limited body fat and they got sick at the same time that my other friend got sick my other friend had minimal symptoms and this guy had two weeks of you know symptoms of very similar to what danny's describing so hmm. a lot of those things do have genetic factors but i definitely believe the stress on your immune system and the acidity that you create based on that inflammation yeah uh, that's that's an attractor of this um, this is why i think i'm just going to stay fat and happy <laughs> because i okay hit the gym and then you get covid um did you, did you see danny's arms man holy oh my shit. god <laughs> i know i didn't even want to like i wanted to just like put a burka on i was embarrassed for him to see anything and he immediately saw my posture and was like sit up straight <laughs> he stood up straight but uh yeah so i had my own health scare uh oh, danny man, was you, talking about yeah tell us about it denting the uh the dishwasher with his head i never go to the doctor and my Anyway, my parents talked me into getting a physical. So I joined uh, Parsi Health, which is like integrative medical practice. And I, I went and uh, the doctor checked me out and everything is good. Like I'm, I'm operating as an athlete. My heart rate is good. My blood pressure is good. Everything is good. There's two things about me. My body temperature runs low, even though mm-hmm. I'm always hot. But my body temperature, like when they shoot you between the eyes with the, the temperature gun, yeah. when you go to places, they always look double like oh you're running like low 92. 97.1 or something like that but i run my body temperature 96 i run really low and then the other thing my blood pressure is low like my resting heart rate is low mm-hmm. so i unless i'm like i'm exercising 
all right, I told the doctor, like last time I had a blood test seven, eight years ago, when I got up, I started seeing stars. Everything kind of went dark and, and I had to sit back down. They had to give me juice. So I have this experience. I told her, and she's like, you know, you can get hypnotized for that. All right. Yeah. So I'll go get hypnotized. I didn't do that this time. So I thought she put in my notes. I went to the clinic, sat down on this chair, kind of had my legs up a little bit and was sitting on this, uh, on this lounge kind of chair. I did everything everybody told me. Looked the other way. Uh, you know, I had my arm this way. And uh, she was started the procedure. So she's talking to me while she's mm-hmm. doing it. So I'm having a conversation. Then she goes, you were talking to me. And all of a sudden, you stopped talking. The color from your face disappeared. You turned oh, shit. white. And you started sliding down the chair. So you she had out. to stop. I don't know if I actually passed out because I think I was conscious. But right, you don't remember. Fine, maybe I wasn't. Maybe I wasn't exactly as conscious. I remember all this. And she's like calling. She's telling somebody else to come. And because she's wearing a mask and a shield and everything, the other person can't hear her yell. Right. So like, she had to I'm stop. losing one. I'm losing one. <laughs> we <laughs> got a fainter in, 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 in office three. We got a bleeder. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so so she's uh, presses the button or whatever. So one of the girls comes and they're like, oh, you okay? And they got me juice, right? So I'm sat, I sat and I'm drinking juice and they got me another one. She goes, did you drink? I said, no, I thought you're not supposed to eat and drink. She goes, no, 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 you're supposed to drink water. So you're supposed to hydrate. You're dehydrated yeah. and your blood pressure went down because of this and all that. And you're probably nervous okay. too. A little nervous. Oh yeah, of course. I'm super yeah. stressed about it. Even yeah. though she goes, I, I don't understand. Tests. You have tattoos everywhere. I'm like, yeah, you, you guys don't understand. This is a completely different experience to get. I'm not concerned with needles. It's the blood yeah, that's coming out. Body. Yeah. It's a long process. So, all right. I started feeling better. Like, okay, good. I'm, I guess I can go. She goes, no, 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 no. I have to stop. I'm like, oh what do you mean? God. She goes, I have to do it again. <laughs> she have to go back and do it again. I don't know how many more vials, but man, that was the worst experience. That's the worst. I hate giving blood. And I, I had to, when I had a thyroid situation, I had to give blood like every two weeks or it was horrible. Oh, and God. one time, you know, they always say to me, I always say like, I'm going to look away. I'm a little bit, not a big fan. And they always, the nurse always says, are you a fan or are you going to faint on me? Are you gonna, like, that's their like biggest fear. So you kind yeah. of like relive their biggest, you, you <laughs> manifested their biggest fear. But one time this woman, she got the wrong like vein or something. And like blood started like literally spurting out of my arm. It was oh, like a, it dude. was like a Monty Python oh. skit. And it was like flying everywhere. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. And it's like, she's like, oh, I missed it. And she's like, oh, okay. Oh boy. You're up. You're really spurting. And I'm like, this is crazy. We have um, a bleeder. We have a bleeder. I was like the Peter Dude, North is- of blood. But anyway, I will never, ever, ever get used to having my blood taken. And I've done it yeah. many, many times. I can't believe people I know can people donate blood. That it's shit. impressive. Like, like, people, people love can it. donate I, blood and can see it for people, 40 minutes. My ex-wife, she like enjoys it. She goes, I really? love the feeling of it. I'm like, oh, we're not. That's why we're not married. Maybe I should. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe I should go to a hypnotherapist. I was thinking, you know, you know who does hypnotherapy in LA now? Um, if you ever look, the Thompson twins, remember the Thompson twins? Yeah, of course. So the black guy from the Thompson twins, he is a hypnotherapist now in Sherman Oaks. You know, like somebody's really? driving down the 101 and there's that sign for like hypnotherapy institute yeah, or something. Yeah, that's he, him? Yeah, he's no, there. 
I might have to go write, check him out. Yeah. I'm going to make a note of it. Make Black a note of that. From Thompson, from Thompson Twins. Twins is a hypnotherapist. You can look it up. He, I've looked it up on Google. That's what I'm going to Google. Yeah. <laughs> I've tried, I, it Twins. comes up and I've tried to get him like on, I tried to interview him, but All right, we're gonna get him on. But I'm just going to get him as a client. I mean, I'll I be his client and then, then we can convince him. I don't know. Maybe I'll, sure. yeah, he can hypnotize us to, to like blood tests. Anyway. So from blood. So if anybody, so I'm just saying, if anybody has any, experienced with this or because i'm gonna to have to do this again at some point i don't know how i'm gonna get my mind to to do that i'm gonna to have to like self-motivate but anybody has tips and tricks for a given blood that worked just share them with us yeah i don't even know if the looking away thing is even a good like I, i'm starting to like think that that's not even good because you don't know when it's coming and then and then you're like ah oh okay that's more than a bee sting that oh that's a lot more <laughs> i'm really looking forward to my vaccination shot i mean i can't stand those things i mean i got uh, i just got a flu shot this year and it was like it hurt for like five yeah. days after my va- my arm was sore and i felt tired and yeah uh but i'm gonna do it i'm not a no no vaccinator so i am i'm not i'm not doing that vaccine. you're not doing it no I'm going to wait till they have a little bit more of genetic information before I, I don't like the one size fits all vaccine, Hmm. just not for me. And I want to see, I want to see what happens to all the people that got the vaccine first. Like I'm, I'm the guy that doesn't get the first generation iPhone. I wait till the second one comes out to see what the bugs are. So I'm going to check you guys out first. Well, you don't even have to wait for me. You can do like, you know, freaking Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden, Joe Biden. We'll just ask Joe Biden. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Pence, all those guys got it, but yeah, yeah, we'll see. So I want to mention something business-wise really quick Mm -hmm. and get your thoughts. There was an announcement of Afria and Tilray merging. Uh, Those companies will come together to make the largest cannabis company in the world, I believe. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? I mean, it was bound to happen, right? I mean, you know, cannabis, like any other industry, it's going to, there's going to be mergers, and it was happening before COVID at much greater acceleration. Um, there was starting to be a kind yeah. of consolidation of the industry. And then COVID happened and the whole world turned upside down. And as we get closer with legalization uh, being a, a reality, yeah, I think it's going to keep happening. I don't even know if it's necessarily a good thing for the industry. I don't like if it shuts out the, the little guys. Because well, that's I think exactly that's, what's going to happen. I mean, yeah, it, it, that worries me. They're going to have to have monopoly laws in the yeah. in- like, this there's is... going to be a Facebook of cannabis, right? I mean, there's somebody going to, a YouTube, a Google of cannabis that's going to come in and just. And, well, and how I... can you compete? Think about it this way it's going to be federal legalization, right? Let's say in all of North America. So you have Mexico, you have Canada, and you have the US. If you have a, a Tilray, Afria, or one of those big companies, Cureleaf combined with Select, all these companies come together, how is anybody going to be able to compete with them? They're going to be fully vertically integrated. They have retail, they have cultivation, they have billions of dollars. There's no way you can compete. I sometimes I compare it to like the the alcohol industry, the beer industry. Like you have all these huge companies like Coors, right? And and Budweiser and Anheuser-Busch. And then you have all these craft beers that people love. And I'm wondering if cannabis will follow a similar model where it's like- That's what people think, but it took years for this craft uh, to come up now because those companies were already huge. So what happened right. to the, in the beginning when there was consolidation, there wasn't really craft brewery. I remember there was Schlitz. There was a small brewery that sort of went out of business. And then there was on the East Coast, you have Yingling. But they got bought up. And yeah. Sam Adams, they got bought up by the big guys. Yeah, so the big guys buy the little ones. And it's but, the same yeah. with like the sports drinks too. Like LaCroix. That's a La Coca-Cola. <laughs> That's a Coca-Cola. They all are. They, they yeah. all, it's, it doesn't matter. Everywhere you look, it's like Coke, Pepsi, the big guys. Yeah. No, I mean, 
listen, it's it, there's no way you can avoid it happening. In some ways, us it not being federally legal has been a boon for all these small cannabis companies because you can have these small companies that you start in like Oklahoma or like Massachusetts that don't, you know, that can really thrive. But Afria Tilray, I'm just curious about the quality of, of the cannabis after all this, um, because the bigger well, you get, the, there's not an attention to detail. That is um, true. I, I do have a, you know, I'm disclosing that as a company, we have a relationship with Afria and uh, I know that they take great care on the medical side, they really right. have a tremendous focus there. So I can attest for that based on my personal knowledge. Right. As far as anybody else, I'm not sure what's going to happen with uh, when they come together. But I'm sure as you get bigger, there's you know loss of that quality control and all that stuff. I mean, I did have the opportunity to interview the CEO of Afria at a cannabis mm-hmm. convention. And, you know, his background, he came from, um, his name is Erwin Simon, and he came from big health food industry background, you know, these guys are not totally corporate barren robbers. So hopefully they have some sort of morals. But I can see that that could be a good thing or a bad thing for the industry. You know, one of the interesting things about cannabis is no like household names in cannabis yet. There's no like, you know, for us there is because we were in the industry. But if you were just like some guy or big Mike, what do you mean? Is big Big, Mike the household name? Is he a household? Yeah, everybody knows big Mike, big Mike. Come on, big Mike. Oh my God. I want to do my expose on big Mike. Big Mike. I, I love that guy, by the way. I know he's yeah, he's, he's very controversial. So um, Big Mike, Big Mike is, if I'm not mistaken, he's Estonian and I'm Lithuanian. So oh, we connected through connect- our Baltic roots. Yes. Nice. Yeah. I'm Russian. Does that give me anything? I don't know. Well, he's yeah. like he's I mean, he's like first generation, right? I mean, I don't, I don't even think he's yeah, he's like from there. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't. I'm not sure if he was born there. I, maybe he has like I, an I, accent I was, and everything. Yeah, yeah. I was I was born in Lithuania, so I'm I'm right. And, and I'm he has an impossible pronounced last name. So that's why everybody yeah. just calls him Big Mike. Big Mike. He can't nobody can pronounce his last name. That's right. Sometimes so it's confused with Killer Mike. You challenged me, uh, or you didn't challenge me, but you asked about uh, have I seen the Bee Gees documentary? And uh, I on HBO did Max. Watch it on HBO Max. By the way, I have to say. I mean, I love the Bee Gees, but you know, sometimes you think they're cheesy and right. you know, like disco music and all that stuff. What an incredible story! I know, and and not only the story, the relationship between the brothers and the tragedy they had to go through and to overcome so many obstacles. And it was such an inspiring thing to see. Like there was a big obstacle, not to give away everything, but in, you can give your uh, your opinion on that. But Every single time they they had an obstacle, they did something to be able to overcome that and to change and mm-hmm. morph into something else. I, I mean, just incredible. They were like the original pivoters, like, you know, Silicon Valley is always talking about pivoting. Like they were so good at like once their career hit a, an impasse, they would pivot. Yeah. And, and, and it wasn't just commercial, like it was just for their art. I didn't really know much about them pre-disco. So that was really interesting to me to, that they were like, you know, right up there with like, you know the Beatles. I mean, they were yeah. they were very popular in the in the late sixties. They were huge. They yeah. they recorded in Abbey Road, and they were like they were annoyed. They're going to be the new Beatles. The Bee Gees. Right. Their harmonies were incredible. Yeah, and then the fact that like they were up in that, and I won't give away too much, but like they're up in that French chalet or wherever it was, and yeah. they and somebody said, "Oh, there's this movie called Saturday Night Fever coming out. Can you write a few songs?" And they just like. In like three days, they pump out like all the entire soundtrack to Saturday Night Fever, which is like Fuck, one of the all great. Hits. It's, it's all, all hits. hits. Every single song was a major number one hit. 
And just like in five days, like what kind of creativity, like at that, they were just so in a zone at that point. I mean, I can't even imagine. It's that flow. It's like, yeah, they were in a flow before when you're in flow and the way that they write, it's on the fly. It's very, very difficult to say, let's come in a room and let's just write songs together. And they're able to do that. And they make a very interesting point that only brothers could really do what they did because they just knew each other so well. And they, the way their voices sunk because they were brothers was like you could never replicate that. I thought that was really cool. I thought one of the tragedy, and we we should play the theme song, tragedy, (laughs) was the whole Disco Sucks movement. I mean, I remember the Disco Sucks movement. Yeah, I remember that guy blowing up the records. Yeah, and I remembered all that. It never really made, I mean, I I sort of was like, I think, kind of uh, neutral about Disco. I actually like it much more now that probably that I did when I was younger. But it really was like, it was almost like a MAGA rally. Like if you looking back, like yep. how racist it was and how Super homophobic racist. it was. Exactly yeah. that. You just hit the nail on the head. I was just going to say, because the disco movement, all these amazing DJs, Larry Levin, all these guys that were coming out and that morphed into house music. And that was right. a big dance music scene, like Studio 54 and Palladium and all these. But it was, it was a true uh, movement of, as you just said, racist and homophobic. And that's totally. the main reason why disco became this big thing. Oh, let's just do, you know, it's rock music and all that stuff. There's nothing wrong with uh, dance music. It was, it was fun. And it's sad because the Bee Gees survived it, which is yeah. incredible, but a lot of groups didn't survive that and were very of- talented. I don't know if that would ever happen again. I mean, I feel like pop music has had a dance vibe for like the last 10 to 15 years and it's still, that is true. it hasn't really been overrun. I mean, I keep waiting for rock to push it off <laughs> its pedestal, but no, there's always going to be Ariana Grande and, you know, um, all those artists. And yeah, that's true. It, but it's hard. It's almost inconceivable that pop music at that time, it could be so hot at one minute and then just be like an anathema and like nobody wants to go near it. Well, to I the think point where I they think, couldn't even get jobs anymore. And I think it happened briefly to like hair bands mm-hmm. during when, when like Nirvana and Grunge hit. Yeah. So like the Molly Cruz and all that stuff, but it wasn't as profound a hatred for yeah. music. It was just, just like, like a switch in taste. Pro- yeah, yeah. Pro- progression. progression. Okay, yeah. like we progressed. Uh, that that music seemed a little cheesy. We progressed to something else. But a lot of those bands came back. But disco music, I'm not sure if. Uh, I mean, they stay remixes. They still play that stuff in clubs. But I'm not sure if that ever returned. Maybe no. Nile Ro- Rodgers still has a little. If you hear his production, you still get a little bit of taste of that disco sound in his well a lot of the disco sound is is back now like i feel like the weekend does it and bruno mars and you know they oh, all yeah. they all borrow from michael jackson and all that stuff but yeah it just as a kind of pop music thing it just died in 1979 yeah. or whatever yeah. um and i was I, i'm sad about that it should have been allowed to live it, it did actually live it just wasn't a mainstream anymore because i mean let's face it dance music has never gone away like you said it became house music and edm what shirt are you wearing today? Today I'm wearing my Sugar Hill Records shirt. We were talking a lot about old school, which as we normally do. And so I'm I'm happy that this came up. The Sugar Hill Gang, the first, even though it's not cool to say, definitely the first rap I ever heard, Rapper's Delight. And of um, Sugar Hill Records, kind of a complicated story of a record label that put out a lot of great records in the early days, but they also exploited a lot of their artists and... Uh, I've heard some bad things. I've had a, I did an interview recently with the first Latin rapper that was on Sugar Hill Records, and he said that they never paid them fairly. And the day they they went on the radio one day, 
uh, even though they had hit song and somebody in the band said something bad about the label and that they never ever recorded another record again and basically yeah. all went homeless after that so i've was... never heard that happening in the music industry before yeah it's brand new. yeah exactly the label took advantage of the artist yeah yeah that's shocking <laughs> yep and sylvia yeah sylvia robinson but anyway i they you know without sugar hill records it wouldn't be rap music so it's uh, it was a very important label so i'll give big ups to sugar hill yeah, I'm wearing my, it's an Allison Chains. It's called the Psychedelic Rooster. Dean the Rooster. That's exactly it. And the reason why I'm wearing my Allison Chains Psychedelic Rooster shirt is because we want to do a segment today called Gone Too Soon. And we're focusing on music because there's a lot of different artists and the, and the you know, writers and all that stuff and actors, but we're focusing on music. Yeah. So- I'll tell you, I really struggled with this list because the criteria was kind of interesting. Like we talked about, is there an age criteria? Mm. And we talked about, all right, under 30, maybe. But then I thought to myself, well, maybe that's not my criteria of gone too soon because maybe my criteria is who are the musicians that made the biggest impact on my life that still had a long possible impact to make? But I had to cut it off somewhere because so examples of that would be Prince. So Prince right. was 53. Was he super, super young? Was he past I mean, his prime? Was he? Yeah. And you n- never know. You don't know. And was he a super impactful guy? And is he obviously gone too soon? Yeah. What about David Bowie? I mean, David Bowie was 69. He was Did still he have more music in him? He made that Black Star album may have been his greatest, if not one of his greatest albums ever. And he just right. made it right before he died. So that was sort of, a, I was trying to struggle with that. So my list, I have a long list, but we decided we're going to pick our top 10. Okay. I just want to kind of uh, give the reason why I, I chose agree with all your, So my, my list is your list for the most part. I might add yeah. a few. Do you want to go with your list first? And no, no, way, you go, you go. I, I want well, you to say it and I will, of course, I'm going to agree with everything you say because you're picking up some of the great artists. I think your criteria is very interesting in terms of like, where were they in their career? Did they have? Well, I, I struggled because Otis Redding was 26 years old when he died. One of the greatest ever. Did he make an impact on my life the same way that Biggie made an impact on my life? I can't say that. No, I would say no. So he's not. And same thing like Dwayne Allman. I don't know if you know, but he's the guitar virtuoso Allman Brothers. The Allman I mean, Brothers, am- yeah. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Could he have gotten more? 24 years old. I mean, there was so much more, Randy Rhodes and Kurt Cobain even, the, the 27 Club. Yes, he, there was a lot more, but he didn't make my top 10. Mm. So I just want to preface that. All right, so my top 10 are Jimi Hendrix. Who's that? Okay, okay go on, keep going. <laughs> guitar guy, he's not bad. Yeah, he's pretty good uh, at guitar. He was pretty good. So same thing, criteria is a huge impact on me personally with the music and my thought process, there was a lot more uh, juice left to squeeze. Oh, for sure. That- I mean, he's such a prodigy. And then he, just the idea that, you know, what what would he have done, like, when the music would have changed? So, like, when the 70s came along and, like, we're talking about disco and funk and exactly. soul. Like, he would have adapted and he would have started putting out, like, you know, and then what would he have done in the 80s when New Wave? I, it just would have been so interesting to see what Jimi Hendrix would have done. So interesting. And, and that's why, and I and I saw the, the progression of that. All right. So yeah. then we have Biggie, 24 years old. I mean... To be able, I was just watching some of his freestyle stuff. You think yeah. about it, man. 24 years old. The guy was so young. So young and so talented. And and you know, you 
Tupac at 25, but Tupac was so prolific. He had so much music out that you can hear so much of it. Biggie didn't. Like Biggie, he really a lot of people didn't. don't really realize because Biggie came out like mid 90s. Hip hop was getting a little bit corny. Like it was getting, it was going through like a little bit of a getting stale phase, and then yeah. all of a sudden Biggie came out and it was like fresh again and yeah. felt real. And so he was so innovative, and he really reinvented the way rhymes were spit <laughs> to use their. It's the cadence. It's the it's yeah. It's the, the cadence and, and the his voice. Rhythm. It would have been interesting to see because a lot of rappers. Their shelf life is short. I mean, some you know we've talked about like Snoop Dogg yeah. and Jay Z have have managed to kind of stay relevant, right? Incredibly, you know. Um, but you know, it would have been interesting to see how Biggie would have evolved. Uh, right. But still, God, I mean, he definitely had like three or three more albums in him before you know twenty four is mean, insane. Yeah, for sure, agree with you. On, uh, on then Biggie. I have Amy Winehouse. Yep, extremely innovative. Uh, then I have Lane Staley of Alice in Chains. And the reason why I bring Lane in, first of all, I'm a huge Alice in Chains fan. Second of all, if people don't know, Lane had a, a side project called Mad Season. Mm. And I recommend that everybody listens to Mad Season. You can hear the progression of where Lane was going. Super sad music, but so interesting and so connecting that uh, I definitely think that there was, a, there was a lot more to squeeze. And then I skipped over the guys like... Uh, not because they're not worthy of uh, like Mac Miller and Scott Weiland and Jay Dilla, but uh, this is where the age thing came in. So Fife Dog, I mean, Fife was 45 when he mm -hmm. died, but I really felt that they could have gotten back together, which they did and could, had so much more. Like that's my number one uh, rap group of all time. And to listen to the new album, there's a void that was missing there. Yeah. Uh, Fife's voice and, and, uh, and, rhythm so and uh i know you had uh, jam master jay and yours i'm not gonna steal you but i i skipped jay and guru and stuff but adam Yao, mca mm. so uh beastie boys uh that made a huge impact in my life you had on your list uh it's sad that he died adam Yao died at 47 incredible 47 um, yeah i have bob marley uh who was 36 just because the i'm with you on bob marley i mean uh, come on what would he have done with reggae? Yeah. I mean, I 30, have, uh, 36 is very young. There was so much more that he could have done. Uh, John Bonham, who's the, the drummer of Led Zeppelin, if everybody doesn't know, that's the reason why Led Zeppelin, who's my favorite rock group uh, of all time, that's the reason why they broke up and never got back together. So the impact that that group could have kept on doing uh, was significant. Uh, John Lennon at 40, there was so much more that John could have given us. And uh, Marvin Gaye was 44. So this is where the age thing comes uh, on. Marvin Gaye is, that's just a great, we've talked about that in the last show, yeah. but that's just, what a loss. Jesus, well, that guy was unbelievable. And yeah. he just wouldn't, I mean, a lot of the things to think about is these guys, not only would they have created their own music, but they would have produced for other people. Like they just would have continued on as like the voices of their. Well, that's why I left the last two. Uh, I have Chris Cornell of mm -hmm. Soundgarden, of uh, Audio Slave fame, because if you listen to the new album that was just put out by his wife, it's all covers. Phenomenal, phenomenal album, phenomenal voice, incredible. And Prince, and the reason why I put Prince on that list, not just because of the global impact that he made, but also because of the producing, that ability to, to lend this amazing, amazing ability to play every single instrument and have this voice in his head that was so different from anybody else's, I think he could have kept innovating for another 50 years. Mm -hmm. So that's my list.
I, there's nobody I, I mean, how can I disagree? They, they all leave us too soon. I, the only people that I would even add to your list, Aaliyah and uh, like yeah. Lisa Left Eye Lopez, they just died so young in their careers that, you know, somebody like an Aaliyah, you know, yeah, she could, she's beautiful voice. She had, she, you know, worked with Timbaland, had yeah. incredible production and really kind of like sounded like a Beyonce and was kind of a pre-Beyonce. Um, she was 22. 22. 22. So I just think it's sad that because she was really like poised to be sort of the premier R&B singer. And, you know, that is a tough business and she might not have, you know, lasted long, but she was a, a real talent. And then, you know, TLC kind of died when Lisa Left Eye Lopez yeah. died and TLC had two great songs um, and were kind of poised to, to make many others. So that and I think all of those artists probably would have broken and become, you know, Lisa Left Eye would have become her own her own yeah, solo artist. So that was a sad one for me. I definitely too young. You know, Ian Curtis, to go back to the 80s, Ian Curtis, who was in Joy Division, I yeah. mean, I think he died. It was like 20, he's in the early 20s. Um, yeah. I mean, they gave, you know, his death gave rise to New Order, one of my favorite 80s bands. Yeah. But if you listen to his music, it was so ahead of its time that it's just tragic that he went when he did because he was really like creating a sound that was so original. And it would have been interesting to see what he would have done in like the mid 80s and the late 80s. And then I got to you know, end this with a big ups to my friend, Adam Schlesinger. I think yeah. I might've talked about him on our show. Mm-hmm. You know, this is my oldest, dearest friend, Adam, who passed away tragically from COVID last April. And Adam was, you know, most people know if they do know Adam at all, they knew him as the, the lead songwriter on of Fountains of Wayne, which already has a bit of a cult following. But Adam was just an incredible songwriter. I mean, he wrote That Thing You Do, and he wrote all the music for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and he was just like the most prolific songwriter you will ever meet. And he could write in any style. And he just had this rare gift of being like a chameleon. So I just personally miss him like crazy. But yeah. but I think the music world will miss him too because there's, there's not a lot of people like Adam that could write like that. Could You know, somebody could say, I need a mid-80s upbeat pop tune, you know, that sounds like Huey Lewis in the news. Go! And Adam could replicate it. Or I need a, a 2019 hip-hop jam and he could just do it. He just was in an unbelievable ability to to recreate music and add his own twist to it. So anyway, big ups to Adam. Love you and yeah. think about him every day. And I just want to give him some credit. And that's uh, beautiful, man. We'll try to share this list. There's a lot more on this list, oh, but yeah. it's very difficult to pick a top ten. I mean, it was just very, very difficult because there's so many people I love uh, on this list. That yeah, it's almost like gone, I feel bad. I'm sure we'll we'll think back and be like, I can't believe I didn't say. So ODB and Guru. ODB and, Guru. I mean, these guys uh, are like ODB. Yeah, I, it's it's a tough one. Yeah, Avicii. You know, so Avicii, anyway. great DJ producer. Yeah. You go first. I'm gonna, yep, I'm going to share mine. Hopefully, I got it right this time. Ready. Yeah, there you are. Oh, Kara's on. Don't oh. be afraid. Don't be ashamed. We want black power. 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 That's right. That's what we want. Black power. We don't have to be ashamed of it. This is not the regular. This is that boom. This is where I'm at, at, at. 
if you wanna talk to me, talk to me about black, black, black. Ali Salasi the first, niggas, niggas, let's talk about that, that, that. Kaboom, Nanny Maroon and all the Maroons, let's talk about that, that, that. The real underground railroad, the first subway for black, black, black. The freedom train begins with your brain, get in on track, track, track. Whether justice or injustice, how do you react, attack? Can you stand there laughing while they shoot us in the black, black, black? This is what some rappers sound like every time they rap, rap, rap. I'm raising up the red and the green and the black, black, black. Even with no cops in the That's hood, dope. we still hit click, click, That's clack, dope. Clack, clack. That's the new. What? Tell us what? What? What did we just, just listen to? This is. Uh, let me. Let me stop here. Oh, that's cool. A little echo there. All right, still, still going. KRS One doesn't want to stop. <laughs> Once you get KRS One going. That is true. Yeah, so it's KRS-One. He's got a new album out. Uh, that song is called Black, Black, Black. I'm a huge fan of uh, KRS-One, as I know you are. I definitely recommend his new album. It's very interesting. It's a very Black Power kind of album. A lot of insight into the current situation, what was going on, what is going on. Yeah. And he sheds light on that. He does it in such a way where it's like... Uh, it's a very prolific, very, very intelligent way to be able to say that unapologetically. What do you think of it? I thought it was dope. I mean, listen, KRS-One can kind of do no wrong in my mind. He, yeah. He's he's very political. He's one of those guys that's definitely matured and evolved over time. I haven't followed his career as much as I probably should. I was a huge fan of his when I was younger, but I liked it. I thought it was a it's a cool video. Well, we mentioned Scott LaRock briefly. So, yep. so I saw KRS One prior to COVID at the Whiskey in LA on Sunset. And oh wow! His son DJs, and then his other son is on stage. So you get two sons. His son is his DJ. Took over Scott LaRock. Oh, that's and he awesome! Does a, and then he hands out tennis balls that he signs KRS One. That's his wow. thing that he gives to the crowd. So I have two KRS One tennis balls. And then the other thing he does, I and mean, we may have talked about it before, he brings people up on stage. So we had Be Real was in the in the audience. He was standing right next to me. He brought him up and he did a thing, you know, just impromptu rap with with Be Real. But then he brings up, he goes, Can anybody spit? And he he educates the whole thing. Yeah. What's an MC versus a rapper and all that stuff? Who can spit? And people come up and he gives them the mic and they're on stage. And then he's like, "Now nah, you suck. And here's the next one. Uh, it's just an amazing show. He, he just, yeah. I love it. I love that you brought Karis one and Scott LaRock to life here. Scott LaRock, for those who don't know, was killed. He must have been in his early 20s. He was KRS-One's DJ and producer. They met in the Bronx at a, a shelter for like abused kids or something. Some, Scott some LaRock story. is 25. I don't mean 25. Rock, yeah, he's on my list. Killed by a jealous boyfriend or something like that. Yeah. Some ridiculous story i don't know what to play you i'm panicking do you want me to play you one other one because i don't know no, i got one. this i'm gonna play you king just i was in miami i was just looking through the crates and i found this 12 inch record and i'm gonna play it for you right now because i've never heard right. anybody else play it yeah you know what i'm saying this the ghost the drunken monk King Josh, coming through for the Shaolin crew. Black fish, yo, hit him with an uppercut. Hey, hey, 
was rap. I'm a chief that smoke weed out of peace pipes. Yo, go, I'm half Indian, so you're right. I'm about to choke you with my white board, don't shout Sing, on my face is sore, sure. They all cry from the black fist. I got punch in my mouth, they say you battle at your own risk. And she's falling and can't get up. I do the rap, why? Yes, does the cut. Huh, right back at you, niggas better run. Or fill the force of the hell races. All right. <laughs> well, that is called Warrior's Drum. I just realized it's probably the most unpolitically correct thing that I've ever played. Uh, it's qualified, but the artist is King, King, King Just. It sounds like that it might have had... It's a woo. It's a woo it a woo. It's gotta it be, sounds it's like King fun. Just must come from a woo because he said coming from my Shaolin... But I never heard of King Just before. And no, maybe King Just I. was one of the, the 20 different... Wu Tang members that somehow didn't make it to the top ten. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't remember him being on on uh, the show. What's the one that used to come on in New York? Bambito, Bambino, and uh, Slim. So King Just is the lost Wu Tang brother. Yeah, he's doing that. But it that, definitely has that Wu Tang sound. Yeah, I didn't. So I like yeah, it had yeah, like the math. flow is just like oh god, it's so good. Um, I love that sound. Good. So, good. Yeah, and I like Just. it, man. That's, that's cool. King, King Just, Just Warriors Drum. Check it out. And they don't play it at the Cleveland Indian or Washington Redskins games. <laughs> no such thing. Yeah. No yeah, name of teams. the teams, yeah. But it's a good one. All right. So I have a little bit more of a serious situation, and I have to probably ask your advice and then ask advice of our audience. I had a situation where I wasn't personally involved in the situation, but I'm indirectly. So I have a... I don't want to expose anybody, but maybe people will know who, but here's the situation. I'm, I'm kind of stumbling because I'm, uh, I'm going to share something that's, uh, that's personal and, and, uh, and see how people feel. So I have a friend of mine who uh, happens to be black, very, very close friend. And uh, there was a situation where uh, this person and another one of my friends were going somewhere and they were having a casual conversation. Casual conversation uh, turned into uh, something to do with marketing in cannabis. My friend mentioned to my other friend that uh, Jewish people are cheap with marketing. Mm. And she's like, uh, and then she, uh, this person is to continue to say that, uh, you know, and say cheap Jew several times. The My other friend asked this person, do you really feel like that? And by the way, my other friend is Jewish and I'm Jewish as well. And this is somebody who's a really close circle. So not only have I displayed generosity over time that never even, I've never heard that before from somebody specifically geared towards me. So I'm assuming that I'm, I don't fall into that stereotype. And uh, uh, she proceeded to ask her and, and the person said that, I don't want to give you my opinion because uh, you're Jewish. So I'm not going to tell you how I really feel, which mm. basically is an answer. So I'm not sure how qualified, you know, you and I are both uh, Jewish. So uh, we don't have another perspective of this, but I, I was just like, I was sat back and I thought to myself and I had a conversation with this person. I'm going to continue to have a conversation. I'm offended. Yes, I'm offended, not because somebody's anti-Semitic and says something or not even if they are, but have this belief. I'm offended because it's somebody that's in my close circle Hmm. who 
I have a hard time trusting people anyway, who I trusted, took down my walls, had intimate conversations about race, about all these things. And I'm, I'm learning. So I want to learn from the other person. So I don't have uh, these preconceived notions, which I normally don't, but I always look at this as an opportunity to learn. I heard this all my life. And, and one of the reasons why I think, because I don't look stereotypically Jewish. Mm-hmm. So I get to participate in mm-hmm. a lot of, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, uh, Borat, think, Borat, yeah. Borat already told us what it means, you know, the, the horns right. and uh, the nose and all that other stuff. And when people throw money at me, I don't, I don't turn into a cockroach and all that. But the point that I'm trying to make is I'm hurt by the situation because it's somebody that's in my circle at such an intimate way in a way. So I'm trying to figure out what to do. And like I said, I heard this a lot of times I was in at a party where people were talking or get together, or whatever people were talking towards the end of the night, they're saying, uh, don't be, don't be a cheap Jew. Don't, yeah, don't be Jewy. My whole life. You're, being, yeah. you're being a don't Jew and all me. that yeah, stuff. Yeah. Well, so we just played KRS one black, black, black. It's about empowerment. It's about black power. It's not about you're less than it's about, we are lifting ourselves up. Nobody's going to point a finger and say, you, you know, well, most people that I know aren't going to say, don't say that it's uh, it's wrong. It's about you're putting down others by propping yourself up. And I feel that this is exactly the situation. You're propping yourself up, by putting down another, you know, race and nation and of people besides, you know, the religious aspect of it, it's a nationality of people that you're, that you're painting with a broad brush. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to deal with the situation. I'm not sure if I'm looking for a solution. I took some time. I'm going to use this as an education moment. I'm going to educate even the notion of why Jews and money, why that even started. And I like, I'm a history person, so I love history. So I don't know if people realize the reason why this whole thing started in the first place about Jews, is because Jews were, first of all, enslaved. Second of all, in Europe, when they were freed, they were not allowed to own land. So nowhere in all the world, Jews cannot own land. Right. Very similar to you know what happened in the United States. So what Jews did was the Jewish people ended up saying, we're going to create a business by taking our money, lending it to somebody else, and charging a percentage to use our money. So they started this... Uh, uh, you know, system of Shylocks, basically money lenders, because that's all they could do to make money. They weren't allowed to own anything. So they owned that and they became good at it. So they started opening finance by other people, open banks. And then we know about the Rothschilds who kept their own family and, and it definitely got interesting at some point. But that's the reason why the people started using the stereotype of Jews with money. They control money and all that stuff. That's the reason why. And I never understood where this whole cheap association with a, a Jewish person, what the connection of this is, who doesn't want a good deal? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it does, I don't know if, the, I don't know if anybody says, Oh no, no, no. I'd rather pay more. No, everybody, it doesn't matter what. So I never got that. So I, I, I don't know. I just kind of unloaded a lot of things and it's pretty deep uh, subject matter, but I just want to get it off my chest. It was really hurtful for me. Not that I heard it elsewhere because I've heard all my life, but somebody who's really, really close in my circle believes that. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a painful thing. You know, prejudice is prejudice. And, you know, these stereotypes, you know, there's always a slight bit of truth in every stereotype, but they're still mm-hmm. stereotypes and not generally true. I think you should right. just have an honest conversation with your friend 
and just say, you know, bum me out, you know, maybe give him a little bit of the, you know, that might be his experience with a few Jews or whatever, but that you can't paint such a broad stroke about the entire, I mean, you could sort of flip it and say, imagine if I, you said he was, he was black, right? You know, imagine if I had, you know, said, used the stereotype about blacks and, and then, you know, painted that, you know, I would be like, I would be like crucified literally, you know, for saying something like that. So, well, actually, I don't mean to interrupt, but this person used back to me said, well, it was like, you open it up as a, as a joke to me. Like I can joke with you about this things. It's like, what if I said blacks are dumb or something that we can joke about that. And I said to this person, I said, first of all, I don't believe that to be the case. I've never even heard that to be a stereotype. I don't believe anybody that you say is this. It's like that guy, John, or that guy, Tom, or that girl, Sally, I can have a, my opinion about a person and whatever they happen to be is whether, but I've never had an opinion about a group of people. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. So I, that was the, what the example was used back to me. So. They said that, don't you think that the, the, the you believe this stereotype? Like he said. Kind yeah. of, yeah. And it would be joking about it and we can right. joke about it's it. It's tough to that. joke. I always think of that Seinfeld episode where Brian Cranston is the dentist and he becomes Jewish just so he can tell Jewish jokes. Um, he converts, <laughs> right. Right. He, he converts to Judaism. <laughs> you know, I, you know, it's just like, you know, how black people can use the N word, but nobody else can. And, you know, right. and I get that that's like loaded with history and. But I mean, let's face it, any kind of stereotyping and prejudice is wrong, no matter where it's coming from. And and you're definitely in the right place here. And it's sort of how you want to approach it with him. But you know, it is it is a bummer when you hear those kind of like generalities be, be tossed out. But of course, I find myself doing it too with other people. And I kind of try to watch myself like don't, you know, fall. Even as a Jew, I sometimes will have a stereotype about Hasidic Jews or Orthodox Jews, like you well, know, that's because, all true. You because that's all true, right? And I'm allowed <laughs> to think that because I'm freaking Jewish, and it makes me mad they don't wear masks. But you know, well, you like, saw the movie on Unorthodox or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean that that is that is really how they live. So it's not. There's extremes in every culture, and and maybe right. there are some cheap Jews out there. Exactly. But you know, generally speaking, it's all bullshit, and everybody's different. So. Yeah, I, I'm sorry that happened to you. I'm sure that a lot of my friends probably harbor these. And a lot of it, to me, always just comes out of, like, ignorance and not really having enough exposure to a different group of people. Maybe this person knows, like, two Jews, and they happen to be cheap, so now they're going to broad, broad, you know, do this broad stroke thing that all Jews are cheap. But I'm glad you shared it. I mean, everything is personal, and everything is personal. That's it. Everything is personal. So I just want to share that with everybody, and if anybody has any tips or any uh, here's what i think i think you should take him out for a drink but then you should make him pay for it (laughs) (laughs) done deal yeah yeah. (laughs) this is after covid of course um what an episode you get danny hester you get gone too soon you got a story about racism well as always uh len it has been a complete pleasure yeah likewise everything is personal thank you so much love everybody
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey friends, I'm Brandon and I'm Saba and we are your host of the Cannabis Hangout podcast, an educational platform to connect with the cannabis community and share personal stories while breaking the stigma of marijuana. Join us every Sunday at 7 p.m. to gain valuable insight with different perspectives from industry leaders, growers, and medical marijuana patients. This is a place to learn so much from different angles in the cannabis industry. So tune in while while we we break break it all down. down.